Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 143. I was going to lead the episode with the Bucks wrapping up the first half and the All-Star break and the lackluster first 10 games under Doc Rivers. Badger basketball, Marquette's got a showdown with number one. It's Daytona weekend, but all of that became irrelevant at 6.53 this morning when the Strange Brew podcast finally made contact with Iowa. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's high! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit the center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's interception, and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. Backed away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. And a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. And they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. All right, for those that might just be hopping in here or come and go a little bit and download a podcast and don't like how it starts and then they wait for the next podcast, and I get it. I get all that all works. Just to reset the table because that's what you do a lot of in radio is resetting topics because people are in and out. And sometimes on my morning show on B93, when you reset topics, it takes like 25 seconds just to reset a topic because we go off in a lot of different weird directions. It's like explaining a fever dream to somebody. That's resetting a topic on the B93 morning show. But we saw, we've had a couple of Iowa listeners, and you know this because we get the numbers, and it shows where things are downloaded and IP addresses. It's actually kind of insane the amount of information we get. I can tell not only where you're listening or where you're downloading, I can find out what format you're using. Are you a Spotify user? Are you an Apple user? Are you an iHeart user? Whatever. We get that data. And then I can also tell where you skip around. It'll show me exactly where everybody skips around the podcast. Those of you that listen the whole way through, my mom and my father-in-law, I think are maybe the only two that do the whole thing every every time. Most of you listen to 80% of the podcast, and God bless you for doing that. I can tell, though, where you skip through, parts you don't like, segments you move over. If you fast forward through the intro at this point, which is going to be a topic here in a second, all that stuff we find out. We've had a handful of Iowa listeners since really the beginning of the podcast in some ways, not that long after it started a year and a half ago. That number really started to grow, though, in the last month, I think it was, or last four or five weeks, to a point where it was unavoidable to bring it up because I just I couldn't figure out why this was gaining steam in Des Moines to the point where it's the third biggest market that we have that downloads the Strange Brew podcast. And as you know, if you've listened over the past couple of weeks, I have been begging. I've been really putting some beg into it, like Kramer and Seinfeld, really put some beg into it. I've been begging to get some kind of contact from somebody in Iowa that can at least explain for their own self, not maybe everybody, which is what we'll get to in this email, how they found it, why they're listening, and we finally this morning on my Hotmail account, Iowa checking in on the Hotmail account. Maybe that was an easier 
email account to type in because as we went over, my work email account is obnoxiously long. So I got an email on my Hotmail account that I'm happy I checked. I don't check that one all the time. I did in the aftermath of giving it out last week, and I checked it a few days, saw nothing, and then I kind of just let that one go. That's sort of a burner email account where a million different things have been signed up for. That's the email account I give when we do that. But I did hear from somebody in Iowa, and it's a very funny email, and the email subject title just says IOWA in all caps. That caught my attention, obviously, and it actually warmed my heart when I saw it. I gasped. (gasps) Somebody from Iowa. Now, I don't know if this person wants me to give out their full name. Andy is his first name. Does it matter, Andy Rush? Is that going to – well, maybe – I'll edit that out maybe. We'll bleep that out. Iowa Andy. Yes. Perfect nickname. Iowa Andy. Checking in on the Hotmail account. Said, this is a funny email. Said, hey, John, first time, short time. (laughs) So hasn't been listening for very long. He said, I've heard your calls for Iowa to identify themselves, and I guess I'll be the Iowan, in parentheses, San Diego, to do that. Not sure what kind of numbers you're seeing from our fair corn state, so I can't speak for everyone that found the pod, but I found it searching for Packer pods after Jordan Love tore Dallas apart in the wildcard run. I guess that is something on Spotify, right? I use Spotify a lot. I do not use Apple Podcasts a lot. That is one thing that I like about Spotify, though, is you can just search broad topics and it will try to bring you things that it thinks you like. That's why I always say, if you do listen to this podcast, please like it or subscribe to it or rate it. I know we're getting more ratings on Spotify now because when people do that, when they search Packer podcasts or Bucks podcasts, the more ratings you have, the more attention it gets and the higher up in the search chain the podcast gets. That's why I always tell people to do that or beg people to do that. I don't tell you. I'm not the boss of you. (laughs) I get it. I'm not your boss. But that's why we bring that up because when people do what Andy did and just search Packer Podcast, the more ratings you have and the more downloads you have and subscriptions you have, the higher up you would go on that food chain. He said, I won't lie, the intro clip with all of the highlights is what sucked me in. Everything else has been pretty okay. <laughs> All right, good enough, good enough. I use this clip on the B93 Morning Show. Well, it's like I always say. It may not be great, but it's good enough. Good enough. Not great. We're not on the high end. We're not going to blow you out of here, but we're going to give you a solid three out of five. Adequate. Three out of five podcasts. He went on to say, not a huge Bucks or Brewer fan, so might not be checking in as often until football season starts again, but appreciate how loose the program is. Your friend Andy in Iowa is how he signed off. And then at the end of his email, I almost have to take a picture of this and put it on Facebook. You know how some people at the end of their email tags where they have their name and whatever their job is, and then they put some super pretentious quote at the bottom of it where it's some Ralph Waldo Emerson clip or quote where we're supposed to think, ooh, this person's really introspective and they really, they understand life. (laughs) I always put those at the end of your email. Don't be one of those people. Well, he did that, but he did it in a funny way. His quote at the end of his email after he signed his name was Brian Bulaga, comma, Iowa. Brian Bulaga, Iowa. Brian Bulaga, Iowa. Brian Bulaga, Iowa. That is a top-level email. I can't tell you how happy I am, not only that we heard from Iowa, but that it was a well-thought-out and funny email. Andy and Iowa. Iowa Andy. Our buddy Iowa Andy. Hey, Andy. How about Caitlin Clark last night becoming the NCAA? Was she the the all-time leading scorer now in women's basketball history? My wife was telling me 
and I don't pay attention too closely to women's basketball, college basketball. I should. The subplots this year are almost better than the men's tournament going into NCAA March Madness, and Caitlin Clark is a part of that. If I do, if an Iowa game happens to be on, and there are a lot of them on national TV because of the appeal of Caitlin Clark, I will tune into it and watch it because she's a lot of fun to watch. My wife was telling me, though, that she had a road game. Iowa had a road game. Let me see if I can get to their page quick and see if I can verify this. Or is my wife a liar? <laughs> I doubt it. She was telling me that the game before last night's game, where Caitlin Clark set the new scoring record, it was a home game last night. The game before that, though, was a road game. And from what she was telling me, they pulled Caitlin Clark from that game because she was getting close to breaking the scoring record, and they did not want her to break that record on the road. They wanted her to break that record at home. The thing is, the game was close that they pulled her from, that road game, and they ended up losing the game. Yeah, they did. My wife was not lying to me. All right, good. Good we found that out. Good we cross-reference that. They were at Nebraska on Sunday, this past Sunday, and they lost the game by three, but apparently the Iowa head coach pulled Caitlin Clark in that game because they did not want her to break that record on the road. They wanted her to break it home, and it cost him a game. And apparently Caitlin Clark was not happy about that. I can't imagine she would be. And they lose that game by three, and then they win in blowout fashion at home against Michigan last night where she does set the all-time NCAA scoring record on the women's level. Shout-out to Caitlin Clark and... Iowa Andy, maybe Andy doesn't care about that at all. If we incorporate some Iowa women's basketball talk, Andy, will you stick around until Packers season starts? Hit me up. Let me know. You have my contact info now. I know that. Well, I appreciate that email. So that's one. I don't know where the other numbers are coming from, but that's one. And that's basically all I wanted. I just wanted one person to check in from Iowa so I didn't feel like I was on crazy pills. That was a big sports story last night, though. Caitlin Clark setting that all-time scoring record. And then once I got that other side part of the story that my wife was telling me yesterday, I couldn't believe that. They pulled her in a close game. You could always just let her break the record in that game, win that game, and then you can do a whole ceremony before tip-off even started last night. You can still celebrate it at home. I didn't quite understand that move. All right, what do we have on the rundown here today? Oh, I just wanted to play you this real quick. Just piggybacking off of the conversation we were having after the Super Bowl on Monday about overtime and what was Kyle Shanahan thinking when he elected to receive I was mainly tongue-in-cheek, but there is a part of me that does wonder, honestly, if he just didn't know the rules or he had forgotten the new playoff overtime rules, something like that. And he kept on trying to sell it as he wanted the third possession. He figured they'd score on the first possession, the Chiefs would score on the second possession, and then I want it on the third possession, even though the idea behind wanting it on the third possession is the same as wanting it on the second possession, and you were in control of that when you won the coin toss. The, the NFL Films audio from the game has come out now, and the audio of Patrick Mahomes going up to the coin flip, losing the coin flip, or having the Niners win the coin flip, and then them deciding to receive it, the look on Patrick Mahomes' face is one of stupor. He can't believe they decided to receive. And the audio of Mahomes when he runs back to the sideline and says they actually wanted it. They wanted the ball. And then all of the audio from the Chiefs coaches saying, oh, my God, we got exactly what we wanted. We lost the coin toss and then got exactly what we wanted. And there is a little bit of audio in here from Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback tight end for the Niners, where he basically says they still get the ball if we score a touchdown. I didn't even know that. Here is the. They want it. They want the ball. They wanted it. Hey, they want it. They wanted it, baby. We want them to have the ball. They want it, they can have it. Hey, even if we score a touchdown, they still get the ball. I didn't know that. If we won the toss, we were going to kick off, too. 
gun we wanted. Just insane, and that just backs up how out of the world that decision was for Kyle Shanahan in that moment to want to take the ball. I guess then the only real explanation would be what we talked about a little bit of on Monday is that he just thought his defense was gassed and he had a better chance to maybe get down the field and score a touchdown and hope they could hold him at the end. The thing about that, too, is you then give the Chiefs four-down territory every single drive when you're the second team to have the ball and you know exactly what you need. I guess it maybe isn't four-down territory if the other team doesn't score. Well, it still kind of is. You put them in that spot, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time who is known to have the clutch gene by giving him the ball second. Not only are you putting yourself in a bad spot just overall, you're also putting the Chiefs in a spot where they know they can use all four downs. Remember on that last drive when MVS went backwards? He made a catch. I think it was on, it must have been after the first, first down they got. So the second set of downs on that final drive that ended up winning the game. And MVS had that catch on the far sideline. He got a yard maybe, but then he started running backwards and lost eight yards, ended up being second and 18. In a reverse situation there, the Chiefs only have two downs to get those 18 yards. But with the situation as it was where you're down three and you know you at least need a field goal to extend the game, you then can dial up different plays because you've got three downs to get that. You don't have two downs to get that. You have three downs to get it on second and 18. Just little things like that lend itself to wanting to have the ball second in that situation. I don't think for as long as we live, if that's the rule in playoff overtime situations in the NFL, and maybe at some point they bring that to the regular season, I don't know. I don't think we'll ever see a team again receive that ball. To, if they win the coin toss, I don't. that's the only time that'll ever happen. I would be stunned if 30 years down the road, if there are, what, four or five more or two or three more overtime games, if the team that wins the coin toss does not decide to have the ball second, I would be shocked. I was shocked in the moment as it was, and I would be more shocked now, given that we've seen how it plays out. There's no way that'll ever happen again, right, where the team wins the coin toss and then elects to receive the ball and have the ball first in that scenario. I also got in a conversation on the B93 Morning Show. It must have been on Tuesday. We've had a lot of talks. We've talked on this podcast about it, about Bill Belichick, and he's just not going to have a job, and he may be done. That might be it for Bill Belichick, and he's going to end up, what, 17 games short of becoming the NFL's all-time winningest head coach, trying to chase down Don Shula. I had a conversation with somebody on the text line on Tuesday that said, do you think Andy Reid now has a legitimate shot at that? And I had not considered that, but when I look at the list, he really does. Andy Reid is 65 years old, and he said after the Super Bowl, they asked him, is he considering retirement, or does he feel like maybe he could get out on top after a third Super Bowl championship? And he said, no, I'm feeling good. I've got cheeseburger in my bloodstream. <laughs> I've got cheeseburgers and Hawaiian shirts and clogs as far as the eye can see. And he said, I feel good. I can go another five years. Well, when you consider now that Andy Reid is going to have Mahomes for the next probably 10 seasons or as many seasons as Andy Reid wants to coach, if he wants to coach 10 more and coach into his mid-70s, he could probably do that as long as he's healthy. But for whatever amount of years that he is still going to be in Kansas City, he is going to have Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, which means barring catastrophic injury, you are always going to have a weapon or multiple weapons offensively because you've got the best quarterback in the league. And people are going to want to play with him, and depending on what happens in the draft, all that stuff. He is going to win 10 to 12 games, 10 minimum. What were they this year, 11 and 6? Or were they 10 and 7? I think they were 11 and 6. With Mahomes and even an adequate defense, you are going to win 10 or 11 games every year, regardless of how the playoffs play out. 
That would put him, if he coaches five more years, that would give him 50 more wins guaranteed, and he would be knocking on the door of Don Shula. And then if you add in playoff wins as well, which Don Shula is also the record holder there when you combine regular season and playoff wins, and if you combine playoff wins in there also, then he'd be even closer after five seasons if you are operating under the assumption that they win at least one and maybe two playoff games every year that he is in Kansas City. Yeah, if he goes five or six more years, Andy Reid could be the all-time winningest coach in NFL history. That goes back to our conversation on Monday about how he has totally flipped his legacy with what he has now been able to do in the playoffs and in big games with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Remember, we talked on Monday about the whole narrative of the Andy Reid career prior to this run with Mahomes was that he was a guy who would get you a nice regular season. He'd win 10, 11, 12 games in the regular season. You'd have a home playoff game. Maybe you'd have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. He'd get you to the NFC Championship game, or he'd get you to the AFC Championship game, made the one Super Bowl appearance and came up short with the Eagles when they took on Tom Brady and the Patriots in 2004. That was his career narrative, though, that he would get you a bunch of wins, but something would happen in the playoffs, or he'd do something fluky with the clock late, or misuse a timeout or there would be a fumble or a pick or some ill-advised situation where his teams could never quite get over the top. And now he has totally reversed that with the success they've had with Mahomes and winning three rings and making four appearances. I think I said on Monday's podcast they had been to five Super Bowls. It's four. Mahomes has won three titles in four Super Bowl appearances. I gave him an extra appearance. He'll probably get that at some point anyway. But with the wins now and the rings that he's piling up, he has completely flipped that. And now you're at a point where we're talking legitimately about is Andy Reid one of the greatest of all time? He's probably in that conversation now. After five more years, if they win another ring, even if they just win one more in five or six years and he piles up 60-ish wins in that time and becomes the winningest coach in NFL history, we're talking about Andy Reid becoming maybe the greatest of all time or at least on the short list of three coaches who would be considered the greatest of all time. What a total, what do they call it? A glow up, right? Is that what kids use when you start to look better? <laughs> when you do something to make yourself look better? What a glow up for Andy Reid after, what, 20 years of being the guy who would win you a bunch but could never win you the big game? And now he's been able to do that three times. And if he sticks around for five to seven more years, he could go down as the greatest of all time. If he goes in the next seven years and wins two more rings and gets past Don Shula, it's going to be hard to make a case for anybody else. I guess maybe Belichick would still be on that short list or Lombardi, but that might be it. Crazy to think about. I had not considered that, though. I didn't know how far he was up on that list, but yeah, he's been a head coach now since, what, 2000 or 2001? Andy Reid, the greatest of all time. <laughs> how about it? All right, let's talk about the Bucks. Ugh, just what a week. They finally, finally on Friday last week, held a team to under 100 points and beat somebody down that they should beat down in the Hornets. Then they come back on Monday against the reigning champions at Pfizer Form, and they look fantastic. They held the Nuggets under 100 points. Remember we said holding the Hornets under 100 points, maybe not that great of an accomplishment, even though it's not something the Bucks have been doing routinely this year, and they've played a lot of bad teams. Their schedule was very soft early in the year, and they weren't holding teams to under 100. They were giving up 120 or 125 to some of those bad teams. But he didn't take much from that Hornets game and think, okay, now we can make some progress going forward. He just felt like they won a game they should win. They finally look competent defensively, and they won a game by 40, which they should have against a 10-win Hornets team. But then on Monday, you've got the reigning champs at Pfizer Forum 
Jokic is playing. Jamal Murray is playing. Gordon is playing. They were missing somebody. I can't remember who. Is it Michael Porter Jr.? For the most part, though, the Nuggets had just about their full arsenal out there. And again, the Bucks' defense looked more than solid, holding them under 100 points. First time, I think they said since 2021, they've had back-to-back games where they held an opponent under 100 points. And the offense was pretty good as well. And you got to win against the reigning champions. I wouldn't call it a statement win. I don't think a Bucks team that has championship aspirations is ever going to say they have a statement win in February. It was encouraging, though. Very encouraging how they performed against the reigning champs at home defensively and offensively. So back-to-back, coming out of Monday, you had back-to-back games where the defense held an opponent under 100 points. You got the blowout win you needed against the 10-win Hornets team, and then you get an impressive win against the defending NBA champions. Things are starting to feel good. Okay, maybe Doc's getting this turned around. The defensive scheme looks better. Offense is starting to click in a little bit, and you got yourself a quality win. Then Tuesday hits, and the Miami Heat come to serve form. No Jimmy Butler. And still, the Miami Heat just looks so comfortable against the Bucs. They look like they just expect every shot to go in against Milwaukee. It was like PTSD from the Heat playoff matchup in 2022-23 or 23-24, 22-23, last year. <laughs> Let's just say last year. That's what it reminded me of. Every open shooter, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Kevin Love, who has been awful this year, shooting either at or below 30%, which are Giannis numbers. Now, Kevin Love in his career has been a guy who has shot 37, 38% from beyond the arc. It looked like those days are gone unless he plays the Bucks. What was he? Five of seven from distance, wide open shots, ringing him up. Bucks got down early. They did get it down to nine in the third quarter, and Dame was hot to begin the third quarter. You kind of thought they maybe turn a corner in that third quarter. But right as soon as they get it to nine, the Heat rip off a 22-2 run, and it's a blowout. And you get boat raced at home by the Heat, who didn't have Jimmy Butler. And even though you're on the second game of a back-to-back, the Bucks had their horses going. Giannis was playing. Dame was playing. Brooke was playing. All their key players were out there. I think you could maybe stomach a close loss on the second game of a back-to-back with no Jimmy Butler. But the way they looked on Tuesday just laid a turd. So all of the goodwill that you felt on Friday and Monday Most of it was gone at the end of that game on Tuesday. By the way, they performed losing by 30, I want to say. I don't even remember. And then last night at Memphis, last game before the All-Star break, national TV, you've got a 19-win Memphis team. Remember the conversation we had about the Hornets and having to win that game because you don't have many games left in the 30 games and now whatever it is, 27 or 28 games you've got left. You do not have a lot of games against 10-win teams, 15-win teams, or in last night's case, an 18-win Grizzlies team. You must capitalize on those because you just don't have a garden full of them in the second half. It's basically a tough game almost every night. It has been for about a week and a half or two weeks, and it's going to continue to be that way up until the end of the regular season. You must then cash in when you play a team like the Grizzlies, who are an 18-35 and 35 team or 18-36 and 36 team going to last night. Not only that, they are down four starters Four of their five starters are injured and not playing. An 18-win team missing four of their five starters. John Morant is out for the year. They had to call up half the roster from their G League affiliation. You were essentially playing a G League team on the road, but you had Dame and Giannis and everybody out there, and they just could not get it together for a sustained amount of time last night. 
They were close. It was tied at halftime. Then they got down by 9 or 10. Then they battled back. It was a close fourth quarter, final five minutes. And the Bucks simply could not string together possessions defensively or offensively to open things up. They got the 100-98 to lead with four minutes left. Kind of felt like they were getting over the top there. But then they just have these defensive breakdowns. Wide open threes. Grizzlies nail those. Then Dame would miss a three. Then he'd have a turnover. All of a sudden, they were down by nine. They do make a run at the end. They were down 113 to 104 with about a minute left. Beasley hit a three. Then they got a stop. Then Beasley hit a three. And with 30 seconds left, you're back within three at 113 to 110. And then you get a stop. Dame Lillard did a defense. He did it. He did a defense. He took a charge. And with 11 seconds left, you have the ball down three with a chance to get yourself to overtime. Dame gets the inbound pass and at midcourt just flat out runs right into Brooke Lopez like he was Wiley Coyote running into a wall, into a cliff. I, It was almost the perfect synopsis of the way this first half has gone, that that's the way it ends with zero chemistry and with Dame just running into a guy. He lost the ball. He got it back. Brooke Lopez then passed it to him and he had to basically do a push shot from half court way off the mark. And the G League Grizzlies get a win, 113-110. to Just a disgusting loss. Two disgusting losses to end the first half after you had built up some goodwill with the blowout win against the Hornets and beating the reigning champs at home again on Monday. All of that's gone. All of it was basically gone Tuesday, and now all of it's way gone after the way they performed last night. That ends one of the most bizarre first halves that the Bucks have ever played heading into the All-Star break. It is hard to wrap your mind around the twists and turns of this first half. From the offseason where you trade Drew Holiday, a very good guard who helped you win a title, for Dame Lillard, a Hall of Fame guard that you're hoping would take you to the next level after a couple of stagnant playoff runs the last two years. You bring in this once-in-a-lifetime guy. Then you make an odd choice at head coach to go with Adrian Griffin, a first-year head coach. That's basically sour the second it gets into the second it passes their lips. That's sour. That's a sour move. They still go three months with Adrian Griffin and bad defense and no chemistry. They fire Adrian Griffin in the middle of the year. They bring in Doc Rivers for all of the playoff failures of Doc Rivers. Most people have Doc as a top 15, top 20 coach all time because he has the title. He's been to the finals a few times. He's got the wins, top 10 career wins. You bring in Doc Rivers. After a 2-1 and one run with the Prunt Dog, never forget the Prunt Dog run of 2-1. and one. You bring in Doc, Chris Middleton goes down. As soon as Doc gets the job, they're on this horrendous five-game West Coast trip. The schedule has cranked up more than a few notches. Then, like I said, Middleton goes down. You're without him. And the team just continues to be up and down and more down than up. You reach the end of the first half at 35-21. and 21. They are three games back or two and a half, half games back of Cleveland for the two spot. They are in that three spot right now. It's just been an odd first half with a lot of different stuff going on. I don't know many Bucks fans that feel real good about the team right now. That includes myself. I remain optimistic. It is mid-February. I remain optimistic that with the All-Star break, Maybe a chance to catch their breath. Maybe you get Middleton back when you get set to go to Minnesota next Friday to kick off the second half on national TV against a team that just blew you out in Milwaukee. Maybe you get Middleton back. Maybe these guys can clear their heads a little bit and get locked back in. But right now, I think a lot of Bucks fans are just hoping guys figure it out, and I'm not sure that that is something that you can ride in the playoffs on. 
Giannis is playing at an MVP level. And the fact that he continues to be left off of these MVP ladders and all the different MVP power rankings and conversations you see on ESPN is preposterous. ESPN did one this week after he dropped 36 and 18 with five assists, three blocks, and two steals on Nikola Jokic on Monday. 36, 18, 5, 3, and 2. And the Bucs won fairly handily. The day after that, they did a segment on ESPN talking about MVP odds, and Giannis wasn't even in a lot of their top fives. I do not understand. He's never going to win the MVP again. Let's just accept that as Bucks fans. He is objectively, and it's hard to say that because I am so subjective when it comes to the Bucs and when it comes to Giannis, objectively when you look at the numbers, he is doing things that people have never done. We have never had a player in the NBA average 30 points and shoot better than 60%. Right now he's averaging 31 points and shooting almost 62% from the field. Even prime Shaq, remember we used that comparison a while back? Even prime Shaq never did that. His assists are up to a career high. He's averaging a block and a half and a steal and a half per game. He should be in the running for defensive player of the year again. I don't know what happened after 2020 when they gave him the MVP, his second straight, and the defensive player of the year. After that, it feels like the voters and anybody who talks about it or the bloggers or podcasters or the Bill Simmons of the world, they just determined after they gave him those two awards in 2020, all right, Giannis, there you go, your second MVP, your first defensive player of the year, enjoy him because we're never going to give you one again. Giannis is playing at that level, at that MVP level, and even better than some of his MVP seasons. Beyond that, though, there just hasn't been a whole lot, and it has been a letdown through 57 games. Now, what we're hoping for is hope, I guess, that all of a sudden, when they come back, Middleton will be healthy and playing well. The Dame's shooting will return to what we saw from him over the course of 10 years in Portland and what we saw in the month of December for a little run. But outside of that, he has been well below his career shooting norms. We're just hoping he figures it out. We're hoping Giannis and Dame can just figure out the chemistry when they get closer to Feb or late February and March and April and you're knocking on the door of the playoffs. I don't know that that's a sound strategy where we're just hoping maybe these guys will click in at the right time. We've seen a large enough sample size at this point that if it continues to go the way that it's been going, Shaq said it last night on the NBA on TNT after they lost that game to Memphis. He said if they keep playing this way, they're going to be out in the first round. I think he said swept in the first round. That felt a little dramatic. I do agree with him, though, I think. If they're in a 3-6 matchup or a 4-5 matchup, and with the way they're playing now, I could see them finishing anywhere from 2 down to 6. And I think he is right. If they continue to play the way that they're playing and these guys don't just magically figure it out, which is our, which is what we're hoping for, they are going to be out in the first round again. At best, they'll be out in the second round. They need to find some kind of cohesiveness on each side of the ball and stop with the inconsistency so far this year. And quite frankly, they need Dame to figure it out too. Dame's got to get back to Dame. Dame and Giannis, it has not been an easy ride. I think we were all hoping that when they acquired Dame and we were all excited about that trade, and I still am. You get this once-in-a-lifetime guard. How many years did we hope and pray for a guy like Dame to be paired with Giannis? I think I even said that on the air like seven or eight years ago. Could you imagine if we could get Dame and Giannis together? It felt like a dream, and now we are living that dream, and it hasn't been as smooth as we were hoping it would be. The chemistry between those two guys does not appear to be great, if we're going to be totally honest. I don't know that it's one player saying, I want to be the alpha dog, or one player conceding that, or what's going on with the power struggle there. Maybe there's more to that than I'm letting on, or that I think there is. I just think you've got two guys that are not used to playing with another alpha. Dame was the guy for 10 years. All the big shots, all the offense ran through him. Everything ran through Dame. Giannis, for 10 years, has been the guy in Milwaukee. 
I don't know if there's a power struggle going on. I just don't think that these two guys know how to coexist yet, and it's taken a lot longer than we were hoping it to. I do think that Dame needs to be more aggressive, and I don't know if that's going to lead to a problem in the locker room. I don't think so. Everything that Giannis has said in his career in Milwaukee would lead me to believe that if they're going to win a championship, he's kind of fine with whatever. Certainly he has a big ego. All athletes do. I think, though, we still are at a point where Giannis is the 1A, clearly, and Dame is either the 1B or the 2 on some nights, or the 2B on some nights. For this team to win a title, Dame has to be Portland Dame, and the offense has to filter through him. And that's going to be something that Doc has to figure out in the second half as a way to ease Giannis into that conversation or find ways that they can share that alpha dog role as the second half wears on. I do feel like we need more Alpha Dame, though, and he has to stop deferring. And he does it a lot. There are so many games we've watched this year where he has a wide-open three and he passes on it. Or Dame is wide open for a three and nobody passes to him. Or Dame gets in the lane and looks like he's got a pretty easy floater or an eight-foot jump shot and he'll pass to somebody in the corner. We just haven't seen aggressive Dame yet, and I'm not quite sure why that is, and that's going to be Doc Rivers' biggest challenge in the second half. But they need to get Dame back to a reasonable facsimile of Portland Dame. If Dame plays the way he's played so far, which is shooting 42% and 34% a career low from beyond the arc, if that's the Dame we get for the rest of the year, they're not going anywhere. Maybe they get to the second round of the playoffs, but they're not going anywhere unless they can get Dame back to about 80% of what we saw in Portland. I think we've only seen maybe 10% of Portland Dame through 57 games. There have been moments opening night against Philly. Obviously, the walk-off winner against Sacramento a few weeks ago, that was a classic Dame time moment. The game in Dallas where he was 10 of 11 from the field and 5 of 5 from the on the arc. We've gotten little tastes of it, but this is... We're 57 games into an 82-game schedule. We just haven't seen enough of it, and if they can't get him back to that level, it's going to be a real struggle. I had a texter ask if the Dame trade is a bust. I don't know if I'm going to go that far. It's been a letdown. It has been. And he's got off-the-court stuff, and we've talked about that. And Bucks fans, myself included, have been reluctant to have this Dame conversation because we just want it so bad. We were so excited to get him and are still excited to have him, and we want it to work out so badly that we have been reluctant to have the, boy, Dame's been kind of a letdown conversation. You know the one you have under your breath, maybe, with your buddies, not on your podcast? We've been reluctant to have that because we want it to work out so badly. But through 57 games, it's been a letdown. I'm not calling it a bust yet because I do think he is a guy who can figure it out over the course of the next 25 games and in the playoffs. And if Dame starts shooting like Portland Dame in March and April and in the playoffs, this team can beat anybody. This team has shown against Denver on Monday when they blew out in the waning stages of the Adrian Griffin era when they blew the doors off of Boston, Milwaukee. When they're clicking and guys are hitting shots and Dame is hitting shots and him and Giannis are complimenting each other, which hasn't happened often, but in those games it did, they've shown they can beat the top teams in the NBA. So for those reasons, I'm not not selling this year. I'm not saying it's a bust. And I'm not saying it's a bust because even if they don't do anything this year, even if they don't make the run we want them to make, These guys are going to be here for a few years, barring another trade, I guess. Giannis signed the extension. Dame is under contract for a couple more years. I don't think you can call this a bust until we get to the end of their time together and they didn't win a title. You know what I mean? If they win one title, they have this year, next year, and the year after that, and maybe the year after that, but more more likely this year, next year, and the year after that. If they win one title in the next three years, It's a success. The trade is a success. So I hesitate to use the term bust 57 games into it when we still have 30% of this year and a playoff run, hopefully, and the entire year next year and the entire year after that. 
if they make one title run in the next three or four years, then the trade for Dame was worth it. If it continues to look like it's looked in 57 games, then after that's all done, then yeah, we can call it a bust. But it's been a letdown through 57 games. We have the All-Star break on the way this weekend. It used to be my favorite of all of the All-Star games. This used to be my favorite as a kid. Now it's, I think it's Major League Baseball All-Star game, 1A and then this one 1B. Dame is in the three-point shooting contest. Is he going to win that for how bad he's been in the regular season? Is he going to go out there and make it rain and win the three-point shooting contest? Perhaps that will get him locked in. Could this be the reverse of what we see in Major League Baseball when a power hitter enters the home run derby and is swinging out of his cleats for the entire run, and then when he comes back in the second half, it's a lot of pop flies and ground outs, and they can't seem to refine that power. Many players in Major League Baseball that have been in the derby have said after they have an outage of power in the second half, boy, that home run derby really screwed me up. Maybe the three-point shooting contest will get Dame locked in if he can start knocking some down and see the ball go through the hoop. Malik Beasley is also going to be in that three-point shooting contest. Dame and Giannis are both starters in the All-Star game, and then they get Monday through Thursday off before they resume the second half. Yeah, the schedule's tough. They started in Minnesota, a team that just beat them soundly, and a team vying for the one seed in the Western Conference. That's where they'll begin the second half on the road next Friday on ESPN. But it's just a weird and unsettling first half for the Bucks. There's still time. Not as much. There's still time, though. For Doc and hopefully a veteran team to figure this out over the course of the next six weeks. Were they three and seven now under Doc? Yeesh. All right, let's hit on a little college basketball, and then we'll just touch on the Brewers at the end. Badgers got a win. Thank God for the eating my hat. Thank God they got a win against Ohio State. They had the lead for most of the game. It looked like they were going to blow it toward the end, but got some big shots late. They win 62 to 54. Hey, it's amazing what happens. When some of these veteran players, remember we talked about that last week, about how they're leaning too much on A.J. Story. Looks like he's out of gas. We need some of these veteran guys like Crowell and Wall and Hepburn to step up and make some shots and ease the burden off of the shoulders of a redshirt freshman. That's what happened on Wednesday. Crowell was in double figures. Wall was in double figures. Chucky had a pretty steady game. And Store had a double-double. And he was able to kind of not be the primary guy, but hit on shots here and there and not have the expectations of the offensive world on his shoulders every time down. They win by eight. They are now 17-8 and eight on the year. They are 9-5 and five in the Big Ten. Got a matchup at Iowa. Andy, Iowa Andy, how do we feel about that? They've got a matchup at Iowa on Saturday. Is it 1 o'clock in the afternoon? Where is Iowa? We're going to become an Iowa podcast, aren't we? I can feel it. I can actually feel it happening right now. Iowa is at the bottom half. They are 14 and 11, 6 and 8 in the Big Ten. Badgers are in third place in the Big Ten. 17 and 8, 9 and 5. What time is tip time on Saturday? It is a 1.15 tip time Saturday afternoon. Marquette went on the road and got a grinder of a win, but a good win at Hinkle Fieldhouse. That Butler team with Thad Mata back there, they've been good. They beat Marquette in Milwaukee earlier this year. Marquette gets a get back, and they did it by dominating in the paint. And they had Tyler Cole hitting shots from the outside, basically clicking on all cylinders. Butler made a few runs. Every college team does if they're good in there at home. But Marquette was able to stiff arm them and get another win. They have won eight games in a row. And now you get the first big showdown of the year. They've had some big games before this one. But the first large matchup for the two top teams in the Big East it is number four Marquette at number one UConn, the reigning national champions. That'll be a 2 o'clock tip time on national TV. That is on Fox on Saturday afternoon. 
When you look at the top 25s right now, I don't know. Like, if Marquette wins on Saturday, are they going to move up? I don't know. You've got UConn number one at 22 and two. You've got Purdue number two at 22 and two. You've got Houston at three at 21 and three. And then you've got Marquette at four at 18 and five. So there, there's a pretty big separation in the loss column there. If Marquette wins, they may still stick at four. Maybe one of those rare situations where you beat the number one team in the country as the number four team in the country and you're stuck at number four. This is the first of two matchups, though, between the two teams. They will match up at Pfizer Forum. I think it's the last game of the year, second to last game of the year. On Wednesday, March 6th, UConn will be at Pfizer Forum, a 7.30 tip time on Wednesday night. But that's the first of two massive matchups for Marquette coming up this Saturday at UConn, 2 o'clock tip time on Fox. And then I just kind of want to play you this to wrap up the show here. The Brewers had pitchers and catchers report. My wife and I are going to be there in one week. We will be at Mitchell International Airport one week from today, getting set for a week-long flight to spring training, and there will be a little bit of a podcast break. I regret to inform you. But I saw Todd Rosiak of the Journal Sentinel was getting set for his reports, and he was just filming some of the pitchers warming up, and this is rookie catcher Jefferson, is it Cuero? He's one of their top catching prospects. Just the sound of this fastball hitting a catcher's mitt is... Oh. (laughs) Yes. Again. Again. Oh. Oh. It just was... I saw that tweet and I thought, God, does that get you revved up for baseball? You know what's odd right now for the Brewers? That Gary Sanchez signing is not official. They said it was a done deal. I don't know if he has not done his physical or what's happening. They remember, that was the first part of my two-part plan to bring Blake Snell to Milwaukee. Blake Snell's still floating out there, too. And pitchers and catchers for most teams have reported. What's odd about that Gary Sanchez signing is nobody has said that's official. He is not in camp. All we've seen were reports from all of the big baseball guys on Twitter, Passin and Heyman and all those guys. They all said it was a done deal. One year, $7 million. Well, nobody's officially announced it, and Gary Sanchez is not in camp. Kind of makes a fellow think. What's going on there? Maybe they are trying to work on a Blake Snell deal and bring them both in together. That's what I'm going to choose to believe. They're waiting on the Snell signing. Then they can intro both Gary Sanchez and Blake Snell together at the same time at the same podium. But it is a little odd, right? We're more than a week removed now from that rumor or that announcement that they were signing him, and he is not in camp, and we haven't had a physical, it doesn't sound like, and nobody has announced anything on the Brewers' side of things. That'll do it for us here on your Friday morning. Oh, by the way, we are going to do for Daytona this weekend. I do pick a winner for Daytona every year. We are going with Denny Hamlin, per the B93 text line, who I trust. When the pandemic was hitting in 2020, right around this time in 2020, The first sports to come back were Bundesliga German soccer, which I found myself betting on, and NASCAR. When everything went away, the NBA went away, they canceled spring training, all that stuff. We didn't have anything. The first things back were international soccer, but stateside, NASCAR. And to fill the gambling void that I was feeling, I asked the B93 text line. A lot of those folks are very big NASCAR fans. I am not a huge NASCAR fan. I've just never been able to get into it. But because I wanted to bet on something, because I have a problem called 1-800-GAMBLER, I wanted to bet on something because I'd normally be betting on March Madness or March Madness got canceled. That made me incredibly sad. I was used to betting that time of year. So I was asking the B93 text line for outright winners for every NASCAR race. Now, getting an outright winner in NASCAR is like picking like we picked John Rahm for the Masters. It's like getting an outright winner at a golf tournament to hit. It's hard to do. 
you can pick the favorite, but even the favorites are 9 to 1, 10 to 1 odds because it's difficult. And especially in NASCAR, you don't have crashes in PGA. In NASCAR, you could spend one week doing your due diligence, researching every part of every car and the course and who performs better here or there, and you could spend hours and hours and hours researching who you think the best pick is, and that guy could crash on the third lap, and the whole thing is done. All 75 hours you spent on that, done in 10 minutes on one crash that wasn't even his fault. That's why it's so hard to pick a winner, and that's why the favorites this weekend are still plus 1,000. They're 10 to 1 to win. Well, the B93 text line in the pandemic year put together one of the great heaters that I've ever seen or I've ever been on. Of the first five races they picked, they got three outright winners correct. If you get one outright winner and you bet on every NASCAR race their whole year, you feel pretty good about that. Three in the first five. So I trust the text line implicitly. And they are telling me to go with Denny Hamlin. Hamlin is plus 1,100 to win the Daytona 500, the great American race on Sunday. So we are plus 1,100 on Denny Hamlin on Sunday. All right, that'll do it for us here. We'll recap maybe a little bit of that. The Rock's going to be the Grand Marshal, right, at Daytona on Sunday too? That, that'll get me into at the beginning. We'll recap a little bit about that. Talk about All-Star Weekend for the NBA. Get set for the second half. We'll recap, obviously, the big matchups for the Badgers and more so Marquette coming back on Monday as well. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then.